man. I got to, to what's the other one? Mercy City? We own this city? Yeah. That's a great show. Yeah, the second, I watched both the episodes. It was great. It was enough to keep me in there. Both? There's five out now. Yeah, no, I only seen two. Okay, that's good, that's yeah. good. Oh, no, so you gave the second one as the tester. Yeah, you already know. Well, yeah, you gotta keep watching it somehow. You just can't just give up. Yeah. Usually it's supposed to be a five episode, Mark, but nobody gets that far. In this day and age, no. Mm, yeah. Not when you can bail and go to something else so mm-hmm. easily. Mm-hmm. Something that's also free and dumb. And that's why Atlanta, I still have to watch an episode of Atlanta. I also have to watch like three episodes. Okay, probably the same too, dude. But that's why, though, like, uh, I get around to it. I hope I end up loving it. You will. So Maybe if you watch them all three in a row, it'll be better. Maybe, yeah. Maybe the problem, like I had with Breaking Bad Season 3, mm. I thought it was the slowest show ever made <laughs> until... I realized that the it's because of the breaks mm-hmm. week by week. Mm-hmm. It fucking kills you and you just need some kind of resolution. Another one of those great review shows, man. Oh, BB is fantastic. And Better Call Saul is just as good. Mm. Yep, definitely another. Did you watch either of neither, those? Neither, neither. But I have watched Breaking Bad and it was good. But it was broken up and you know we don't like that. We don't like that. Yeah, you got to watch it from the beginning. But it's a lot of seasons, man. You got to. There's you, six seasons. Well, there's so five. Oh, that's why. Well, five's okay. a two-parter. That's not that, 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 that bad. No. And there are 10, 12 episodes a season. Oh, so okay. Not, well, yeah, that's not that bad. You're missing out. And it's like it's old TV. Trust me. It, I get around to it. And you will be missing out because I'm the one that's saving it. Mm. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> I never thought of it that way. <laughs> I'm savoring it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast X. X, 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 X. Here we are again. It's Wednesday night. Yeah. Special Friends Day night. Hey. Hey. You got to go to work in the morning. <laughs> oh, man. About 4 a.m., right? Yeah. What time's your alarm going to go off? Like uh, 4. <laughs> oh, 4. No, it's going to go off around the the, the the responsible mark. 3, three then you try to sell to 3.15. How many, how far away is your job site from where you are? Now it's just 20, 20 minutes. Egan. Okay, so it's pretty much yeah. the same as yeah. Yeah. it was before. But you remember I'm training too, so... so. So you got to be at the factory. No, you don't just go straight to the store. Oh, that's good. Unless they say, hey, can you come? Chances are they probably tell me to go to the store tomorrow. I mean, the factory tomorrow. To like do a paperwork or something? Mm, probably to snap on me. No, I'll just play it. Is everything going all right? Yeah. That's good. It, hey, it, nothing can't go more wrong when you're a trainee, right? They can like realize you're worthless <laughs> and get rid of you. <laughs> that's funny, man. Man, like, you know what? It just ain't gonna happen. But you're not worthless, so. No, I'm a pretty, look, man, I know if I wasn't kicking ass. You're worthwhile. Yeah, worth the while to wait. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I'm not doing it super hey. good, just wait on me. Exactly. They even waited on you to have COVID. They did. On a very rainy June 1st, 1981, like three that. detectives were dispatched to a location they were familiar with, the Moonlit Hotel in Villa Park a seedy area near Chicago, Illinois. For detectives, this call was common. A dead body was discovered. (laughs) The Moonlit Villa was a skid motel where Mm. one could rent a room by the hour for prostitutes, intravenous drugs, or both. Yep. 
as such, corpses were bound to pop up from time to time. Yep. Kind of a hazard of the trade at those hourly motels. I believe it. Especially because it's so close to, well, it is my hometown, Chicago, Illinois. Are you familiar with Villa Park? It's dude. I'm telling you, all this shit sounds familiar. Yeah. But Chicago's every, huge. Yeah, it That's is. The thing. It is. And this so is. So you can't a, really be like, ah, yeah, yeah, no. I know. Unless you're like from that exact area. Mm-hmm. And you'd be like, oh, fuck, Villa Park. Mm-hmm. The maid reported a terrible odor from somewhere near the hotel that only got worse day by day. Finally, the hotel manager walked out back to the trash littered field to see if he could get rid of the source of the stench. It wasn't a dead animal as he'd thought, mm. but a dead girl. Damn. The three detectives determined the victim had been there for weeks, possibly up to a month. She was so badly decomposed that they could see her skeletal structure, but maggots were still on the corpse doing their job. It was a rare time to discover remains in. Like, usually, you find them before or after they've been gone at by the parasites, Mm. you know what I mean? Having them actively munching away is a, a, a pretty rare time to find remains in. Yeah, but that, I guess they was there so long that even the murderer was like, kept, did they clean that shit up yet? <laughs> I'm still on the loose. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'm still on the loose shit. I'm good. I've smelled this yeah, corpse ten dead. times already. Like, y'all are horrible over here. The victim had clearly been murdered as she'd been bound with handcuffs before being left, probably to die. She also had cloth in her mouth, which was used as a gag, and she was wearing a sweater, panties, and socks. Mm. The panties were pulled down to her thighs. In the girl's socks was a wad of money. Robbery clearly wasn't a motive. Mm-hmm. Investigators needed to ID the victim first and foremost. Then they'd have to figure out the interval of time between her discovery and her mm-hmm. time of death. Yep. This would prove difficult. Her decomposition was advanced. And in those days, the best they could do was estimate a time of death. Right. In 1987, the University of Tennessee established the body farm where donor bodies are allowed to decompose under different conditions Hmm. so they can be measured against and compared to remains found around the country. That's science. This was 1981, so we're just a little bit early in Mm -hmm. this story, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But I I even looked it up. Uh, The body farm definitely exists. Mm. They don't have pictures, thank goodness. No, that's one of those fucking monkeys kind of thing. I imagine they have, like, they're like, okay, this corpse has been left in the humid room for 60 days Mm -hmm. and this is what it looks like and then they have one like this is the room temperature room where a corpse has been in for 60 days you know they got data that way they can when they find body parts they can be like "Hmm, that was let's let's take it over to tennessee and we'll bring it to all the different rooms and see which one it looks like (laughs) bring it to all the different rooms (laughs) just cart them to the next one yep this looks about right That's a match. Hey, what, what, what if the you thought the other one was a match and you just keep going back and forth? Like, uh, 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 no, mm-hmm. let me go see this other one. Like oh, at the eye yeah. doctor? What's better, yeah, one yeah, yeah. or two? Yeah. Yeah. One or two? <laughs> God damn. The fucking, I mean, it's useful, though. It's some shit that you hate hearing about. Like, damn, they got, what are they doing with the science? Yeah. But it's, it's, you gotta have it. You need it. Yeah. I remember Cody covered some doctors from way back in the day. And they talked about, like, the dissection room in the old hospitals. You know, there's no air filtration. There's no air conditioning. It's the 1800s. Ooh. There's just a 
room full of mutilated corpses everywhere that the trainee doctors are working on. It's just diseases. Hell yes, dude. The hospital was a very dangerous place to go. You didn't want to go there. If anything, you wanted to be treated in your own home. Mm-hmm. But we're not talking about that right now. We're not talking about <laughs> turn-of-the-century yeah, doctors. Yeah. We're talking about Chicago in 1981, baby. Yeah, the 80s when crack was booming. Mm. Investigators also needed to determine if this shitty field was the primary scene where she'd been killed or simply a secondary scene where she'd been dumped. Mm. The fact that the maid only recently noticed the smell indicated it may not have been there that long. Let me let me guess. She was dumped there. But that would mean uh, whoever killed her was okay with living with the decomposing remains long enough for mm-hmm. her to turn to almost soup before carrying them out here. One thing detectives knew they could do to see how long she was there was check the soil underneath her body to see if any of her fluids and how much had leached in. Mm -hmm. The body was taken to coroner Peter Seekman to determine cause and manner of death, as well as fingerprint and take dental impressions to compare with records. Only after this was done could police really get down to brass tacks, staking out the scene and hunting for evidence. A search through Villa Park missing persons turned up nothing, so detectives phoned the downtown Chicago cops to get their opinion. (laughs) The inner city boys enlightened the suburb investigators, giving them the knowledge that money rolled up in socks was nine times out of ten a prostitute. That's where they keep it. That's their bankroll is rolled up in their socks. I was thinking stripper, but that's kind of the... Oh, no, They're not say that. No. That's what I said. No, I'm not saying that. They both work in the sex industry. Yeah. And motherfuckers may think they're the same, but they right, not. Right, right. So they can be. They're oh, not absolutely. mutually exclusive. <laughs> but not every stripper is a hooker. No. And remember that. Mm-hmm. Not every Life stripper lesson. is a hooker. There are good strippers. Number eight. Hookers are fine. What's wrong with they're, a hooker? They're, I think they're good. Yeah, it's the world's good oldest hookers. fucking profession. Yeah, they gotta be good hookers. There's there, good and it? bad everything. There's good yeah, and bad man. police. There's good and bad mafiosos. There's good and bad everything. But I tell you what, that bad hooker better be good at fucking doing something in that bed. Well, if she's a bad hooker, she's probably not good at I'm doing I'm just talking something. about mentality and how good of a person you could be. Because you could still be a good person at doing a bad thing. And a and bad hooker. Yeah. 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 One or the other. <laughs> it doesn't matter, man. Wait a second. <laughs> I just contradicted myself. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> Unfortunately, as we know from hundreds of hours of podcasts so far... Her being a sex worker would make IDing her multitudes harder. Mm. Thank Christ those fingerprints and dental records paid off, though. Within two weeks, she was ID'd as 21-year-old Linda Sutton, who was indeed a prostitute with an arrest record. She was also a mother of two babies, both of whom lived with Sutton's mother, their grandmother. Along with the positive ID, a big twist came out of the coroner's office. Mm. Despite the advanced state of decomposition, the doctor had determined that Linda had only been dead for three days. Mm. Her hyperdecay was due to two large wounds on her chest. Her assailants had brutally raped and mutilated her, removing both of her breasts. The missing breasts allowed parasites right into the body, and they devoured the remains in record time. Man, record time. So if they have two giant wounds in the body, yeah, they're they, not looking for an entrance. They could automatically get in. Just mm. crawl in. And, and they go right from to the organs. Inside, inside out. out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Easy. On February 12th, 1982, a 35-year-old waitress was abducted from her car on the side of the road. 
The needle on the gas gauge was past E, so she likely ran out of gas and was abducted by her would-be savior. Mm. Her purse was still on the front seat, and the keys were in the ignition. A very quick search turned up her nude body down the side of an embankment. She'd been raped, tortured, and mutilated. Police asked the press not to report that the victim's breast had been removed, so they could hold it as a trump card for interrogation purposes. Mm. It's good to have things only the killer and the police can know. And if the press can keep it out of the papers for a while, gravy, baby. even better for them. Gravy, baby. A few days later, the body of a Hispanic woman was found. She was wearing an engagement ring mm. and, like the other victims, had been raped and strangled. Unlike the other victims, her breasts had not been removed, but mm. they'd certainly been badly bitten. What flavor would be a Latino woman's too? Hmm. Chili. You ever have the elotes <laughs> pops? No, I haven't. Well, have you ever been near a Mexican person? Yeah, come on, man, yeah. They cook with a lot of cumin, you know what I'm saying? So they always kind of smell like cumin. Mm, it's kind of like always the, coming out of them. Like they season it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't bother me. No, I know. My boy, uh, Alberto, is uh, who I work with all the time, and he's also a chef, a Mexican chef, so mm. it's like he smells like Mexican food constantly. Oh, I'm just like, God damn it, Berto, you're making you, me you fucking need, hungry. You need to bring some yes. shit or get out. Apparently he has. He's brought in this crazy, mm. it's like blended shrimp cocktail. Apparently like shrimp, it's the man. best thing, but it's like a hundred bucks. I love shrimp, but I'm allergic to it. Though. How allergic? Last time I fucked with it, which I don't even fuck with it no more, because my fucking throat was closed. Yeah, up, dude. you were going into anaphylaxis. I don't think it was that bad, because the, the other times I would eat it, my mouth was just itch. Mm. It did, but you know, you just keep eating it, and then one mm -hmm. day, just I was like, you know what? No, you were playing Russian roulette every time you put one of those uh, bottom they're dwellers dope. right in your they're mouth. They're so good. No, they're delicious. They, they're they're so good, and yeah. they're good fried, they're good yeah. boiled, they're good in butter. It doesn't matter. They're good in butter? Put it on a pizza, I'll eat it. Man, like this tit. Mm. Her killer had also masturbated on the body. A psychiatric profile was done up on this crime. And it said the killer was likely a local family man that loved animals. Mm. He was also very likely a bisexual that didn't accept it. And he lived a dark alter ego at night. He mm. became a real Dr. Jekyll. Mm. Or Mr. Hyde. I think he was the bad one. I get it. <laughs> I can't remember which one was the bad one. In May, a young woman was abducted from her work parking lot as she walked to her car. Her name was Lorraine Borowski and she was repeatedly raped and then subjected to a piece of wire around her breast to sever it from her body. Mm -hmm. One of her attackers finally killed her with a hatchet, and her remains were discovered near where Sutton had been dumped, although this time it was in a cemetery known as Clarendon Hills. Mm. The killers didn't wait very long for their next attack. Two weeks after Borowski, on May 29th, Shuey Mack was abducted as she was coming home from her family's restaurant in Streamwood. She'd been riding in her brother's car, but the two were arguing, so he let her off on the sidewalk to get a ride from their parents, who were supposed to be right behind them. Her body would be discovered four months later at a construction site at the end of August. Shuey Mack had been mutilated like the others. This was good for the police, as they now had a pattern, and the links seemed obvious. All were young women who had lost at least one breast in very similar manners. Hmm. Dude bogus for putting this sister out. He for shouldn't real. have did that shit. Like, dude, it's late as fuck at Stringwood. Stringwood, it gets pretty dark out there, especially at this time. This, this time of year? Because it's not time of year, but... You know Streamwood? Yeah. I nice. Know Streamwood. Nice. So they are near. 
Yeah. It's, it, 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 it's dark out there with streetlights. Really? Yeah. In 2022. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So you imagine. So where is that like outside of the city? Yeah, it's kind of outside. It's like. Is that like a suburb? 45, maybe to an hour from the city. It okay. Ain't too far. Cool. North or south? Um, I think that's going west. West. Yeah. So neither of the ones I said. <laughs> it's going west. They had a difficult time uncovering any leads to catch the killer, however, at least until another victim appeared. Her name was Angel York, and she survived her attack. She was able to recount her experience to the police from her ICU bed. Two men in a red van were abducting women and keeping them in the van, cuffed and gagged to be used for rape and torture. They had forced Angel to cut her breast open with a large knife, and that made one of them so horny he grabbed the knife sliced her deeper, and came in the wound. Then he wrapped it in there with duct tape and kicked her out of their van, cuffed and gagged in order to bleed to death. Even with Angel's help, they were unable to stop the perps from killing again. In August 1982, Sandra Delaware was found dumped near the Chicago River. Mm. Her hands were tied behind her with a shoelace, and her breast had been removed like the others. A bra was knotted around her throat, they estimated her time of death at just six hours before. Damn. They, they get into it pretty fast. They found this one immediately. Yeah. They didn't dump it them fast. Within the next two weeks, Carol Pappas and Rose Beck turned up missing. Rose's body was found September 8th, stabbed, raped, and strangled behind an apartment building in North Lake Shore. Mm. A black sock was tied around her neck, and her face had been absolutely crushed. Police would later learn that she was beaten in the face and head with the blunt end of a hatchet. She had deep cuts in her breasts and small punctures all the way through her abdomen. Mm-hmm. And they just randomly choosing them too, sound like. Yeah, just as long as they're ladies, I suppose. Because yeah. that was, you said Stringwood, and you said North Lake Shore. That's like, North Lake Shore is like what the opposite, way on the opposite of Stringwood. Is it? East, east away yeah, from the pretty, city? Yep. That's pretty much what. Well, that's right next to downtown Lakeshore. Huh. Okay. Well, they they're gonna have another victim. That matter of fact, that is downtown. They're gonna have another victim. That's even that is super downtown. And then the Chicago River is downtown too. Hmm. Well, it's a river. So where's know. Wrigley? Wrigley. That's north. North. Well, they kill in north too. Yeah. That's that's what I'm saying, dude. They're all over. Did you ever hear of these guys? I have not. Apparently, they were all over the news mm. back then, but. It's not like you're going to go to grade school and they're going to talk about the Chicago Rippers. But you know how too, man. When you get, they try to keep that shit hushed probably in the suburbs. Streamwood, yeah, that's, that's off. That's too much racket. Mm-hmm. The FBI's Behavioral Science Unit was asked to provide a profile about Rose's attackers. They said the perp was likely uncertain about his bisexuality, again, and on top of that was quite effeminate looking. In October... Another prostitute named Beverly Washington was kidnapped, raped, mutilated, and left for dead. But Bev was a fighter. She was able to give a complete description of the men who were grabbing women off the street and enacting their insane sexual fantasies on them. Good one. The driver of the van had been a slender white guy who looked to be about 25 years old. He wore a flannel button-up and square-toed boots. He had greasy brown hair and a greasy mustache. Beverly said he offered her more money than she was charging and acted way overly nervous during their mm. negotiation. That definitely sounds too suspicious. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
I would try and break off from yeah. that one if I could. Hell yeah, that's like saying if we were selling drugs and the motherfucker was trying to offer way over and, and too giddy about it. Like, you know what, bro? I don't even sell drugs. I was just fucking with you. <laughs> <laughs> when he asked her to get in the back of his van, he had a gun out. He ordered her to remove her clothes and she quickly obeyed. He put Beverly in handcuffs and forced her to perform oral, then threatened a vicious beating if she didn't swallow the handful of pills he was shoving into her mouth. As her vision began to fade, she saw her attacker standing over her with a length of cord and knew that would be her last visual memory. Mm -hmm. The men dumped her in the trash with one breast severed and the other almost severed, but someone discovered her quickly and called it in. She described the van as red with tinted out windows and a wooden divider inside. It had feathers and a roach clip hanging from the rearview mirror. Hmm. Feather and a roach clip. You talking about like a blunt roach tip? Yep. Because <laughs> why would they have a roach tip just hanging from the rearview mirror? Like, Because they're cool. That's not cool. It was the 80s, bro. All right, bro. <laughs> All right. It was the 80s. What are you going to do about it? I mean, nothing, because... <laughs> <laughs> Those details were exactly what they needed to make an arrest. On October 20th, 1982, police pulled over a van that matched Beverly's description and questioned the driver. He was a ginger and didn't match the physical description. He said his name was Eddie Spritzer, and the van belonged to his boss, a man named Robin Gecht. Mm. Officers had Spritzer lead them to Gecht's house, and when Robin came out, it was clear this was who Beverly described, down to the flannel shirt and the square-cut boots. Even still, he played it cool and acted as if he had no worries at all and was only too eager to help with the investigation. Mm. Either Robin was innocent, or he was so full of shit and himself he thought he was untouchable. No matter what it was... Police had to let him go for now. Mm. Later, Beverly picked Robin's picture out of a photo lineup as her attacker, mm. but by the time detectives went back out to his property to see him, he'd gotten himself a lawyer. Mm. Robin Gecht was going to be very careful in his dealings with police, who found him a difficult man to shake up during questioning. Mm. Within two weeks, police had linked the other survivor... Angel York with Beverly's attackers in the red van. At this particular moment, police were convinced that Spritzer and Gecht were responsible for three incidents exactly like this in total, but that wouldn't even be the half of it. Initially, interrogating them seemed like it was going nowhere, but Spritzer soon began to crack. He seemed, in his responses, to be actually deeply afraid of his boss, Robin Gecht. Mm -hmm. Detectives leaned on Spritzer a bit harder and ended up walking out of the room with a 78-page signed statement. This would be his first of four official confessions that he would give. Mm. He was the bitch, though. Oh, yeah. He was controlled a little bit. Mm -hmm. So pretty much he gonna try to get off with that. For sure. Crazy. You gotta try. You gotta try to play the card, bro. (laughs) We go take these timeouts, man. He might miss the field. <laughs> <laughs> Ice that bitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spritzer started his statement by admitting to driving the van as Gecht committed a drive-by shooting, which killed one man and left another paralyzed. Yeah, they was drive-by too? God damn. Police quickly identified the incident, and the time frame matched up. It was a cold case drive-by that wasn't solved. And mm. there they just cracked it wide open right there. Then... According to Spritzer, Gecht had him stop on a side street so he could have sex with a black prostitute in the alley, 
When he returned to the van, he was holding her left breast, which he plopped on the floor of the van as they drove away. Spritzer added here that during these mastectomies they would perform, Robin Gecht would have sex with the severed breast right in the van on the way back to his house. How? how? Would just put his dick up against it? Probably. Hmm. Like a flashlight or something. Spritzer next described an incident in which Gecht had shot a black woman in the head, wrapped her in chains, and tied bowling balls to her before throwing her in the river. Hmm. Next, he recounts one time when Gecht battered a woman with a hammer, and the sight of it made Spritzer vomit. On this woman, Spritzer was forced to cut off both the woman's breasts himself, and then Gecht made him have sex with the gaping wounds in her chest. Hmm. By the end of the 78-page confession, he admitted to seven outright murders and one aggravated battery. Interrogators were shaken by the disgusting nature of these crimes, but couldn't outwardly show it, because no matter how abhorrent the crimes were, police now had ammunition against the tough nut Robin Gecht, who was sitting right in the next room over. Hell yeah, we about to go fuck this dude up. Got everything. That's, yeah. So that man, that, which they was about to do. Oh, they, they were gonna, they, they were ready to drop the yeah, hammer. Yeah. It was like an anvil was uh, being hung by a string over a cartoon cat. And I ain't talking about convicting him. I'm actually talking about beating his ass. Oh, sure. Because once they got that evidence to it, is you actually, it's over. They're going to make sure they whoop your ass. That would be great. I mean, yeah. yeah. That would be great <laughs> if they gave him a little uh, toot toot. I say this little video. They was whipping this dude ass on the street. He this regular, regular dagler dude rode up in his car. He was like, "What? He a child molester? He just rode down. What y'all beating him up for? He a child molester? He's like, I'm gonna get some of this. Put this shit in park. Start just hit that motherfucker in the face and shit. And I'm like, damn. I'm like, hey, I, I ain't mad at you. No. Hey, do it again for me. Get your anger yeah. out. That's a, this seems like a healthy way to Ooh, do it. It together. is. The police collected photos of the victims and laid them out before Gecht. He looked them over without much interest and denied ever seeing any of them. Mm. Then, they took Robin on a walk past the room where Spritzer was spilling his guts so he could see just how fucked he was. Still, Gecht didn't waver. The cops were getting frustrated. Look, man, this dude go to fight it to the end. They tried doing the wire thing. Walking him past mm -hmm. with a mouthful of French fries. Yeah, McDonald's. Man, you snitch, man. I mean, I tell you it <laughs> for free. To make matters even worse, walking Gecht past Spritzer had a terrible effect on the latter. He suddenly changed his tune and said Gecht hadn't murdered a single person. Damn. His confession became so chaotic and scattered that police didn't know what to believe anymore. Now, Spritzer was saying the killer was actually his girlfriend's brother a guy by the name of Andrew Cocoralius. <laughs> in the next room, Gecht confirmed he knew Cocoralius and even provided an address, but once again, Gecht seemed unfazed. He just thought he was getting out of there as soon as they straightened this out. Mm. That sounded like a fake name, was it? Andrew Cocoralius? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a fucking stupid name. I hope I'm saying it right. Dude, that's good. I just don't know how else you would say it. Like Coco yeah, Release. Yeah, Coco. I like Coco Relius. That shit sound fake as fuck. It's K-O-K-O-R-A-L-E-I-S. I think you said it right. That sound fake as fuck. Just like Spritzer. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. I'm going for it anyway. Yeah, fuck him. They ain't got no rights. No. And who cares if I'm saying it wrong? Yeah, These guys are yeah. fucking assholes. Fuck them. It's not like I, uh, I was like, <laughs> I was like, George Washington. You know, <laughs> I, can, I, can, I, I know that guy's yeah, name. Yeah, Gorge. Gorgie Washington. Yeah. 
Totally confused, police went to the provided address for Coco Aurelius. They wondered if three men could actually be involved in these horrendous crimes. It didn't take long for Coco to confess. He talked about how they kidnapped women right off the streets, stabbed them with razors, knives, tin can lids, and even can openers while raping them. Then, with piano wire, they'd cut off one or both breasts and masturbate into them. Mm, piano wire. Yeah, just like they strung up Mussolini with. Who the hell is Mussolini? Oh, you talking about in the story. No, Mussolini was an Italian dictator. They had that motherfucker up by piano wire? On a bridge. So that means it was cutting right into him. Like, mm-hmm. Ugh. He was hanging off it. Mm-hmm. No, they call that a Colum- Colombian neck tattoo? No, no, yeah. That's just with a knife. I forget. I Yeah, I think it's wire where mm-hmm. they leave it wrapped around your neck or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. It's probably a necktie everything. Yeah, there's probably some kind of neck t- a nationality yeah, necktie. necktie. <laughs> Cocorelius admitted to killing Rose Beck and Lorraine Borowski and had evidence about Sandra Delaware that only the killer would know. He'd shoved a rock in her mouth to keep her quiet, He'd raped her with a broken wine bottle, which caused severe bleeding, and he'd finished her off with knife stabs to the chest. This was absolutely confirmed by the autopsy report. Hmm. Police expanded their investigation into these men, questioning friends and family of theirs to find out about any personality quirks or personal habits. Didn't take long to discover that Gecht had a breast fetish, and, (laughs) and he had asked multiple girls he knew if he could stab their boobs with needles and pins. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty Ugh. sure they said no. I hope so. I hope they said no. His wife went through much worse, including infected cuts on her breast where he'd closed semen in her wounds and made her let them fester, but she never turned on him. That's, that's crazy that the woman even let you do that shit. That's fucking disturbing. Yeah. She should have been broken off with that dude. Ew. Well, you want me to get gangrene yeah. or some shit? Ugh. What, you want to see the germs in your cum? Ugh. He's, ah. <laughs> Something wrong with this guy. It is. It is. When detectives started questioning Coco Aurelius's developmentally challenged brother Tommy, they were in for another twist. His strange behavior at first made the cops believe he too was on the Ripper crew, as they were now called, and it didn't take long for him to break, adding even more gruesome details. This group of four were a bunch of loser edgelords who were trying to make real the satanic panic that was sweeping the nation during the 1980s. The Ripper crew had gone a step further than playing D&D and listening to Rush, however. They took their rituals to the extreme. Mm-hmm. According to Tommy's confession, Gecht and the crew would take the breasts they acquired up to Gecht's attic, where a shrine had been constructed. Of course, they had to wait until after Gecht's wife went to her night job. <laughs> in the wait, wait, guys, wait guys, we gotta wait till she leaves. <laughs> These are fucking freaks, dude. Just wait outside the back door yeah. until my wife leaves, and then we'll go upstairs and. Your and wife knew you had that breast run. I, I hope like. so. Yeah. In the attic, they would all masturbate into the fleshy part of the breast. Then Gecht would cut it up into tiny pieces and read passages from the Bible as they all consumed them in a dark communion. Tommy said that he himself had witnessed two murders but had participated in roughly a dozen communion rituals. Mm. When detectives asked why he'd participated in such disgusting, unnatural activities, Tommy explained that when Gek was around, he had mystical powers of persuasion. Damn. And you simply had to do what he says. Yeah, doing satanic shit. I'm pretty sure he did have some some kind of persuasion, some great persuasion. Powers of persuasion. Mm Mm-hmm. 
That's what the devil gives you. That's what the devil gives you. Mm -hmm. After this first round of interrogations, the team of killers was held at the Pontiac Correctional Center on $1 million cash bond for a multitude of charges. Mm -hmm. Gecht still adamantly refused his participation. As the investigation progressed, they learned that Spritzer and the Cocoralius brothers weren't the only ones who were certain that Gecht had mystical powers, and they definitely weren't the only ones who were afraid of him. One acquaintance that was interviewed said Gecht had the unnatural ability to draw people in to do his bidding, hmm. and he urged investigators never to look him directly in the eye. No matter how depraved an act may be, he could always find himself an accomplice. Gecht got his perv start by molesting his little sister as a kid, and for this he was sent to live with his grandparents. They weren't real attentive, and they were getting up in age, uh, so they didn't have the energy to be parents again. They had already done their job as parents. There's only so much they could watch them. Yeah. So he used his freedom from scrutiny to develop his love for Satanism and secret rituals. Hmm. The papers ran with the story, dubbing them the Ripper Crew because these idiots and Jack the Ripper both targeted prostitutes. Each member of the crew would be tried separately. Hmm. Gecht did his hardest act to avoid trial by pleading insanity, and after an extensive evaluation, he was found not only fit to stand trial, but was found retroactively sane at the time he committed his murders. Mm. Strike out for Gecht. So, automatically. Yep. Like, that's not even a question anymore. Well, too. Not only are you sane right now, you were sane then. Exactly. And not to mention, he wasn't even sane then during the investigation. Yeah, he was just tight-lipped the whole time. He was a rock. There ain't no reason for you to stay in this trial. Mm -mm. The prosecutor had some pretty good evidence to work with. During a search of Gecht's house, they found the hidden shrine Tommy had told them about. In it, they found a rifle that had been used in a murder, a bunch of satanic literature, and a box which contained up to 15 pieces of breast flesh. From victim testimony and autopsy report, the M.O. was laid out like this for the jury. Women had been kidnapped, held against their will, and tortured with everything from needles to ice picks. They were then gang-raped and forced to have their breasts removed for use in a satanic ritual. Often the victims died, but they felt enormous pain before they did. That's a pretty good opening line for the jury. They're 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 gonna they're gonna think negatively about yeah. them immediately. You can sit down now. Yeah. <laughs> you did your job. We will uh, we'll we, we'll take recess and then yeah. the jury will go deliberate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll convict these motherfuckers. Because <laughs> the defendants, he can't do. I mean, when he come back at the other motherfucker, he can't do shit. Yeah, what are you gonna do? Can't say nothing. What's your cross examination gonna be? Mm. Gek chose to take the stand in his own defense. He insisted he was innocent of all rape and battery charges, and certainly the murder ones. He claimed that during the time most of these incidents took place, he wasn't even associating with these guys. (laughs) Despite great eyewitness testimony, since they were all being tried separately, the other members of the Ripper crew's testimony implicating Gecht could not be used against him in this trial. So, extenuating circumstances like uh, kidnap, mm-hmm. like you need two charges to get a death penalty, right? So you need mm-hmm. kidnap plus murder. Like, it can't just be murder. Mm-hmm. It has to be murder plus something else. Rape, murder, kidnap, murder, that kind of Rape, stuff. Rape, murder, kill. Rape, n- murder, death, kill. Yeah, there you go. Murder, yeah. Murder. We had this conversation yeah, before. <laughs> it's a good movie. It is. There was no physical evidence linking him with any of the murders, so Gecht wasn't charged with them. The jury did find enough evidence, however, to convict him on all the charges he faced, including attempted murder, rape, 
deviant sexual assault, aggravated battery, and armed violence. Mm. He was sentenced to 120 years in prison before he could be considered for parole. Mm. So that's good. It's not like sentenced to 120 years, possible parole after 60 or something. This is 120 years before he can be considered. Mm -hmm. You gonna die. Oh, yeah. They'll bury him in the fucking jail. Mm. Mentally disabled Tommy Cocoralius attempted to have his confession blocked from being admitted into his trial, but failed. Mm. He was convicted in 1984 and sentenced to 70 years in prison for his involvement with the Lorraine Borowski murder. His brother, Andrew Cocoralius, was tried in two different counties, his first being for the murder of Rose Beck. In his confession, he admitted to abducting Rose with the other men and forcing her into the van and beating her with a hatchet until dead. It only took the jury three hours to find him guilty of rape and murder with the sentence of life in prison. Mm. At his second trial, Cocoralius decided to try a different tactic and recant everything he'd confessed to. <laughs> Even though he'd given two confessions already, this time he denied ever having killed anybody. He said the cops had beaten and threatened those confessions out of him, which we've seen before. Yeah, that's what I said. Maybe. Not this time, though. Yeah, if they did, they had the right to because you really did do oh, it. Oh, yeah. They didn't beat the confession out of you. They just beat you. <laughs> <laughs> they already had to dance the rights. They got you. Yeah, you already said this stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then they hit you because yeah. of how gross it was. The prosecutor went over each of his confessions in detail before the jury with the six different detectives he was blaming and two different states' attorney he was also blaming present in the courtroom. Even so, Coco looked at each of them as he insisted that these men conspired against him and told him what to say, along with feeding him details of the crimes only the killer and the police would know. When one of the detectives Andrew was trying to blame took the stand to talk about the confession he'd collected, he said when he showed Cocoralius a photo lineup of women, he pointed right at Lorraine Borowski and said, that's the broad me and Sprites are killed in the cemetery. Damn. Of course, since this was a trial, it came down to who was more believable. Coco was sullen and angry the whole trial, and his story that eight different officials had conspired to get confessions out of him was literally unbelievable. The jury only needed an hour to deliberate before finding him guilty of the murder of Lorraine Borowski. At his sentencing hearing, Coco once again denied the charges against him, and his attorneys argued that even though he was found guilty, this crime didn't warrant the death penalty. A prison chaplain and prison psychologist each took the stand and recommended life in prison. They both thought Coco Ralius could be rehabilitated, both in mind and in spirit. <laughs> the jury didn't care and sentenced him to die. Yeah, which they needed to, bro. This is the right call. I'm surprised the other dude didn't get it, but they always say you better be quiet. And I guess that's what happened. That's exactly yeah. what happened. There was no evidence. Yeah. He never admitted to shit. Yeah. So he got to hang out in prison for the rest of his natural life. Mm -hmm. And they didn't really say like they fought more on that either. Because if I'm sure it was, it was by himself and it was. Then they would have had to do yeah. something. Yeah. Yep. But they also wouldn't have had the bevy of evidence they had if it was just him. They wouldn't have the four, mm -hmm. three other knuckleheads spilling their guts about everything. Probably would have been running loose by himself for a Could minute. Could be, yeah. I wonder why he wanted to be in a band anyway. A lot of these fuckers, it's a confidence thing. They need to like hype each other up. Because they want to do it, but they can't They're get bitches. the nut to do it themselves. Yeah. Andrew was scheduled to be executed March 17th, 1999. Last-ditch efforts were made on his behalf to get a stay of execution from Governor George Ryan. Mm. 
Governor Ryan was anti-capital punishment and was pushing for a moratorium on all executions in the state. Thanks to a series of investigative articles by the Chicago Tribune, 12 men on death row had recently been exonerated of their crimes and let out of prison. Because of this, Governor Ryan had no faith in the system that made the decisions on whether his citizens lived or died. Damn. Do you remember Governor Ryan? I do remember the Ryan. Was he a good dude? I mean, you know, obviously I don't remember him, but... You You remember he was the governor? Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely heard that name before. One case that kept Ryan up at night was that of Anthony Porter. Porter was a black man with an IQ of 51 and had been on death row for 16 years for double homicide. He'd exhausted all of his appeals, and his execution date was set for September 23, 98. Mm. A Northwestern University professor and death penalty abolitionist had turned up exculpatory evidence, so two days before the execution, a stay was ordered. Almost immediately upon questioning, another man confessed to the crimes. This was clear proof that the state of Illinois had prosecuted an innocent man with plans to put him to death. Damn. Governor Ryan pondered many sleepless nights away trying to find the answer on what to do regarding executions in his state. But with Andrew Cocorelius up next on the docket, Ryan dragged his feet on the moratorium. He felt, as did the majority of Illinois, that Coco deserved the needle. As the hours ticked away before his execution, Coco's lawyers were in overdrive trying to get a stay from the governor. Ryan issued a three-page statement that boiled down to, Coco's peers had decided his fate, he'd failed all of his appeals over the last 16 years, and Governor Ryan could not, in good faith, stand in the way of Mm. justice. On the morning of his execution, Coco Aurelius was convinced it wasn't going to happen, even as he was flown to a Supermax facility in Tams, Illinois. Am I saying that right? Tams? T-A-M-S? I mean, yeah. T-A-M-M-S. That would sound about right. You've heard of it? Never heard of it. Okay, good. Because if, if you say it's a prison, yeah, it's a supermax, super yeah. yeah, it's going to be somewhere you probably never even heard. Yeah, it's, it's probably the people that live their work at the prison, yeah, you know the, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The prison town. Yep. You don't want to go to a prison town, too, by the way. That's... I've seen a documentary about it. Really? I can't remember, like, Alabama or something, but it's depressing. Yeah. You don't... They don't get paid enough to live, and basically the prison owns the houses and stuff all around mm. there that they all live in. Mm-hmm. So it's like... They get paid just enough to cover their bills, basically. Mm. And then it's like a family thing. So Fathers and trapped. sons. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. But you, these motherfuckers got to be doing underhanded shit, though. The prison guards and yeah. stuff? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And it's a family thing. I can't imagine you... Yeah. I don't know how you wouldn't. Mm-hmm. After he landed in Tams, he spent the rest of his morning praying and fasting. As they were strapping him into the gurney, he still believed there would be last-minute clemency. He offered the Borowski family an apology through the window, said the kingdom of heaven was at hand, and his heart stopped beating at 12.34 p.m. In January of 2000, Governor Ryan announced his moratorium on all executions scheduled in his state. Andrew Cocorelius was the last man executed in Illinois, and most people believe Governor Ryan dragged his feet to make sure Andrew was executed. Mm. Let me drag my feet feet on a moratorium. Yeah, let's kill these motherfuckers. Yep, we'll kill this bastard, and then we'll stop ha- all the at other At this ones. point, you have to. Yeah. In every situation, an active killer might not be killed, but ch- active killer, active shooter, shooters. shooter, yeah, active shooter needs to be killed. If they don't do it themselves. Yeah, which animals. Is I don't know why they like to kill animals. Yeah. After they hurt a person, but they usually yeah. do. Yeah, 
Like if yeah. a dog bites somebody, they you, have to put it down. put it down. It's like, well, what if that person was being a dick fuck? Which happens. Hell yeah. People are dumb around animals. Yeah, they are. What a bear attacking that boy. Just trank the bear. Take him to the woods. Mm-hmm. Because the whole thing is with bears, they want you to keep the campsite clean. Tidy. Yeah, so the bears won't come and fuck your shit up. Yep. And they didn't. You ever seen the video of the bear that's all drunk? Like, <laughs> like broke into a campsite and like got into a case of beer and drank the, the whole damn thing. Damn, he drank the, <laughs> yeah. like a 24 case. Yeah, yeah. Damn. And he was like stumbling around and falling over and shit. He knew what he was doing. He, I bet after a while he did. <laughs> I bet after three, four, six, ten beers he did. He knew what he was doing, bro. Let's talk about our one missing member of the crew, Spritzer. Mm. He's been conspicuously absent from these court proceedings. Mm-hmm. Because his uh, his is kind of interesting. He pled guilty to the murders of Rose Beck, Sandra Delaware, Shuey Mack, and a drug dealer named Raphael Torado. He received a life sentence for each of the murders, plus a shitload of years for other charges like rape and battery. On February 25th, 1986, Spritzer appeared before the court to be tried for the murder of Linda Sutton. He admitted that he and his gang had abducted Linda outside Wrigley Field and took her to a wooded, trash-strewn field out back of the hotel they were staying in. He handcuffed her, raped her, removed her breasts, raped her again, then pushed her out of the van to die. His public defender tried painting Spritzer as immature, impulsive, and simplistic. He was just a young idiot who was following orders from his powerful leader, Robin Gecht. Mm -hmm. A former friend of Spritzer's took the stand to testify that Spritzer used to brag about what he'd done, calling Mm. the women broads when talking of his exploits and laughing about how many he'd killed and mutilated. The prosecutor insisted that Spritzer was every bit as guilty as the rest of this pack of weasels, and should be shown absolutely no mercy. He was convicted on March 4th of aggravated kidnapping and murder. That's two charges. That'll get you what you need. Two weeks later, the jury deliberated another hour before sentencing him to die. He ended up on death row in Pontiac Correctional Facility. In October 2002, when Spritzer was 41 years old, his case was among 140 of Illinois' 159 death row inmates being re-examined because of Governor Ryan's moratorium. Mm -hmm. Spritzer's attorney was trying to get his sentence commuted to life in prison, saying Spritzer's low IQ of 71 made him an ideal mark for Geck's manipulation. The victim's families gathered in force to argue against this. Mercy was not granted on that day, and the original sentence of death was confirmed. (laughs) But in January 2003, as Governor Ryan was leaving office, he granted four pardons to inmates and blanket clemency to all 159 on death row, sprites are included. Oh, okay. Everyone was really fucking pissed. Yeah. Because uh, all 159 of those death cases were now commuted to life in prison and execution was guess, forthright banned in Illinois. I guess that's like the probably one of the best times you could say that you're stupid. Yeah, just go for it. Yeah. Go for it. If you got a subnormal IQ, bring it up in your murder trial. <laughs> bring it up in your murder. It might help you. It might. Well, Herschel, did you learn anything about Chicago I or the Chicago did. Rippers? I did. I learned about the Chicago fucking Rippers. Did you like this episode? Yeah, I did. It was crazy. It was just all fucking everywhere. Stringer, Wrigleyville. You said Wrigleyville or Wrigley Field, which Wrigley is the same Field. thing. The same shit. Oh, it is yeah, Wrigleyville, Wrigleyville where it is. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yep. Boys Town. Let me not say that part. Boys you can take Town. That out. You can take that out, though. No, that's not bad, is it? I think Boys Town is like 
the fine word for it. I think you can call uh, it. Oh, Boys Town? Yeah. <laughs> it's like Soho in New York and oh, stuff okay. like that. Hey, don't like, get me young. It's like the official name for it now. Listen, yeah. other Chicagoites, <laughs> Chicago tell me, but I've heard regular non-hateful people call that section Boy, of oh, town okay, Boys Town. Because I don't want to defend. I don't want to offend nobody. Yeah. Like up here, it's like the Lorraine Park area. That's where all the uh, uh, gay people hang out. Or, you know, that's, I mean, that's a stereotype, but that's like an area that that's known for gay people. So if Boys Town is like that way, that's, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think that's bad. I'm going to say it's not bad. Listen, everybody, yeah. thank you for listening to another episode of Bumblebutt Podcast X. We appreciate your patronage. We do, man. We, uh, we like you listening. We think it's mm-hmm. great. Listen. Follow us on Instagram. Leave us a review on iTunes. That would be mm-hmm. nice to you. Until then, I've been A Bomb. Mm, a Bomb. That's been Herschel. H Bomb. And we will see you next time once the fallout clears. Goodbye. <laughs>